They call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the winningest college basketball coach in history, a five-time national champion. This episode of Return to Glory is all about Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K. I'm Jason Evans, your host for this trip down memory lane with the members of the 2001 Duke Blue Devil Men's Basketball National Champions. As I spoke to that team about their season, there were unexpected moments where the players shared remarkable stories about how Coach K had inspired them and changed their lives. Some of the stories are touching and some are laugh out loud funny, and I just had to share the best of them with all of you. Let's start with a member of the 2001 team who has known Coach K the longest, walk-on guard Andy Borman. Coach K has been a part of Andy's life since, well, since Andy was born. You see, Andy is Coach K's nephew. So before he was Coach K, Andy Borman called him Uncle Mike. My mom and Mickey, Coach K's wife, are sisters. So I grew up spending Thanksgiving, Christmas at the K household during the summers, you know, literally my parents would drop me off at Duke basketball camp and pick me up two to three weeks later. You know, I, I would go to Duke camp Monday through Friday and then spend Saturday and Sunday at the K household, you know, just, you know, at Thanksgiving, you know, in the driveway shooting hoops with Cherokee parks and, and, you know, all these, all these guys that were my heroes, um, you know, so it was crazy. Now, you know, it was did, absolutely crazy. Is there a Coach K treats you like a player of his versus Coach K treats you like his his nephew, or or are they the same thing? No, no, they're 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 different and and different in a beautiful way. Um, growing up, he was always Uncle Mike. It's always Uncle Mike. Um, when I was a freshman at Duke playing soccer, he was always Uncle Mike. Um, you know, he he called me into his office. You know, like I said, it was during soccer season and kind of said to me, like, hey, my soccer coach was a guy named Coach Rennie, John Rennie. And uh, he said, hey, I just, you know, want to let you know, you know, I'm going to sit down with Coach Rennie and whenever soccer's over, you know, we, we need another body. You know, so whenever soccer soccer's over, let's give it a couple of days and see if this is a good fit. And if it's a, if it's a good fit, we want you to walk on. Um, and if it's not a good fit, you know, hey, we tried. Um, but like, I'll make sure he knows, like, you're here for soccer, and soccer always comes first. And then I remember, so during that kind of like three day trial period, um, I was really observing more than anything, you know, but. I hopped on the court for some drill and like royally screwed it up and he lit into me um, and lit into me like I deserved it. And from that moment forward, he's coach K. Um, he's not, he's not uncle Mike any longer, you know, he, he's coach K and, and I, I love it that, you know, even to this day, you know, I, I call him coach, you know, because um, I kind of had the best of both worlds. You know, he, he's my uncle, but, you know, a lot of people have uncles, you know, like, 
you know, I got to play for Coach K. And th and that's what I wanted, you know, so it was incredible. Another 2001 Duke walk-on, Ryan Caldbeck, reflected on some advice Coach K had given him, not about basketball, but about how to live your life and follow your dreams. Have a listen. Coach K has a... Um... Coach K is, first of all, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, so I've worked, you know, since after college, I went to BCG and then into private equity. Then I started a technology company about nine years ago. I've been fortunate to work with some absolutely brilliant people. Um, uh, Coach K is easily one of the smartest people I've ever met. And he is particularly uh, effective at uh, motivation and understanding what buttons to press and how to press it to get you to achieve something you didn't think you could achieve. Coach K has a very large and complicated organization to run. Coach K, you know, his job is not just the 15 players on that team. It's the program. It's, by the way, all the nonprofit stuff he does and, and his leadership role in college basketball more broadly, et cetera, et cetera. So Coach K um, has very precious time and... I felt like Coach K would be there for me when I needed him. And uh, there were times when I met with him one-on-one -on -one because, you know, I needed to. Frankly, they're usually because I asked to. Um, I, probably the best example is um, coming out of college, I had a, a job offers at, at um, three consulting firms, Bain, BCG, McKinsey, and I was just trying to talk to him about it. And he gave me what ended up being the best advice that I've, some of the best advice that I've ever gotten. Um, and it was advice that I did not take. And that advice was um, uh, to find what you're passionate about and to follow that. And I didn't take that because at the time, the 22 year old version of me thought to myself immediately in the moment as Coach K is talking to me, I thought, you got lucky to be able to coach basketball. If your first team, someone had torn an ACL and you get fired or whatever, like, and yes, he's amazingly talented, but like in any success, like maybe you wouldn't, wouldn't be here or like maybe you're fortunate and that the thing you're really good at is also the thing you're passionate about. I discarded it immediately. I didn't think about it. And so I went into consulting and then went into, uh, went to business school at Stanford and then into private equity. And throughout that entire time, like, I was making money, but I wasn't particularly passionate. And what I kind of discovered is that Coach K was not talking about, you know, going to coach basketball. He was talking about identifying specifically what it is you're passionate about. And so what I mean is, I don't know if Coach K is passionate about basketball. He could be. I don't know. I know that he is passionate about building something bigger than himself. I know he's passionate about the connections that he forms between different people. And my guess is he could get that, whether it was basketball or soccer or the business world or whatever it is. And that was the thing that I missed. And that's what he was trying to tell me as a senior. And I regret that. Ryan Caldbeck went on to recall a story he'd written in his journal that he kept of the 2001 season. It was about how Coach K knew the right thing to do when Ryan had a special visitor on campus. Throughout the season, you know, he spends he spends more time with the, the the stars as he should, right? It's my job to like make it through and not be high maintenance. Um, in the journal, 
though I had a, uh, I had a fun memory of looking back at my journal this weekend, which was, there was a, a time midway through the season, my dad came to visit. <clears throat> he showed up at a practice, even though I told my dad not to come to the practice, he came to the practice. Uh, and I wrote about this in the journal in the middle of the practice. I did something coach K stopped the practice and coach K said, uh, see Ryan just did something really good there. And they explained what I did. And I can't tell you like how rare that is. I'm not saying this is a joke, but like, that's something that I would have done would have warranted coach K to stop practice. It didn't happen three times in the years that I played there. And to do that in front of my dad, like was just an amazing gift to me, um, frankly. And uh, I'm just really grateful. I'm grateful for the shot that he gave me. I'm grateful that he kept me on and I'm grateful for the wisdom that he gave me. Perhaps the most enlightening conversation about Coach K that I had came from Mike Dunleavy. He spoke to me about how Coach K handled players in different ways and what it was like to sit with Coach K and break down game film. This is a longer segment than usual for Return to Glory, but I really want all of you to hear everything Mike Dunleavy has to say about playing for Coach K. Yeah, I mean, I think my relationship with Coach was... This is, a, this is a mundane way to put it, but it was uh, more uh, it, was, it was a great player-coach relationship. And I say that in the sense that my dad was an NBA coach um, for 17 years. And so I, you know I consider myself a really a coach's son and a really coachable player. So when I showed up to, to camp, and frankly, when he was recruiting me, he recruited me like he was coaching me. You know, he would talk through, my games or, you know, he might see watching me play um, or their, their team's games at the time. Here's how it use you. And, and it was like a, it was like, he was already communicating to me like a coach. And then when I got there on campus, he was even more so of that. And so, you know, it sounds kind of boring to say, but we had just a great player coach relationship and like, you know, and what he asked of me and what he told me, like he could bring me into um, his office. We could discuss things and watch film and like I had the the mental IQ and capacity to to take all that in and apply it. Like I think I was a really coachable player, and so from that sense, that 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 was our relationship. Um, and and the biggest thing that he did for me was he just instilled a, a tremendous amount of confidence in me. Um, you know, I was a kid from Portland, Oregon, came a long way to go to college at Duke. I was pretty pretty skinny kid, um, not the most athletic, and so like you're playing in the Big ACC, so at times you know, you question, are you good enough? And he, he never let that creep into my head. He always did an amazing job of, of, of building me up and making me believe I was good enough and that I belonged. And, you know, that, and, and I grew so much in my three years there. I think it was pretty reflective of that. You know, he got on me at times, but he probably got on me the least of, of any of the guys because he understands people. And I think he understood, like, I could just, I'm going to tell Mike, like, yeah, he, I'm just going to tell him like, instead of some guys need to be yelled and screamed at, but with me, he's like, you know, if, if you need to do this, do this. like he, he would tell me. So uh, that's how our relationship was different. Not to say he didn't get in my ass a few times and, and chew me out, but compared to a lot of the other guys, he had, he had to get, you know, he, he, he had to ride him a little bit, but with me, I was different. I, you know, he could just tell me like, all right, I'm, uh, I'm pretty practical. I'm going to go do it. And so that was, that was another part of our relationship. 
so, uh, all right, you've put me onto a tangent now. Who did he ride the most? Who was the guy, if there was someone being, being yelled at, who was it? Yeah, I mean, in, in fairness, um, looking back on it, uh, you know, he got on, you know, Kate, you know, as I recall, like, I'm thinking about the guys in my class because I was there with them for three years. And so Casey, he got on. Carlos, Carlos, for as good of a player as he co-channeled him pretty sternly. Um, Jason, he had his – he communicated with Jason a little bit differently. Um, Jason was so good right? That, um, you know, you had to let him, let him go and let him be, but there was times where you had to rein him in. And so that was a, I think that was a way of handling Jason that the coach had to do. Um, you know, Shane, Shane probably more in my boat, but even more so like very rarely was coach gonna get on. I mean, Shane was the, the perfect student, right? So like when, when coach got on him, it was like, Oh, it caught everybody's attention. It, it was, it was over the top. And, and it was really to make a point. Like, I don't think he was ever really mad at Shane. Um, other guys, you know, other guys didn't really stick out. Other guys probably probably middle of the road, but those are kind of the extremes on different ends of it. Are there any specific practice stories that you recall? Um, you know, give me some insight, man. Peel back Ooh, the curtain. Man, man. Um, this is this is along the same lines, but uh, the one that I always remember um, <laughs> is we watched a lot of film in in uh, prior to games. Like after the game, we would come in the next day and watch a lot of film before practice, and it, it would be like three or four o'clock in the afternoon, right after everybody's classes. So we would go in the locker room, we would watch film, and it, they turn off the lights. We watch it on you know film, like the lights are off. You're watching. Um, the prior night's game and coach is going through stuff and he sits up there and he's got his remote and he's stopping it. And he's running it back. And, you know, sometimes you're in there for like an hour, hour and a half, depending on how the game went, like he doesn't mess around. And so again, I remind you, we, you know, you're, you got, you're a college student. Um, you know, you're probably up late. You, know, you got class early in the morning. You're at class all day. That time of the day you go to a movie theater, flip off the lights. Like you're going to get a little, a little tired. And I remember one time, I was sitting next to Nick Horvath, um, who was, who was my year, um, you know, four or five good player. Um, he was sitting there with his arms crossed and I just, there's some motion next to me out of the corner of my eye and he's dozing off. And he, you know, he's, he's falling asleep. And I, I feel for the guy because I've been there. Like you, you get those high, heavy eyelids and, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's daunting. And so um, I kind of nudged him a couple times. And it was just, he was just overwhelmed with, 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 with tiredness. <laughs> and eventually coach, coach must, must've caught him. Turn on, you know, turn on the lights, turn on the lights. Is it Nick, were you falling asleep in my film session? And just, you know, you know, the, and I don't even, I, I think Nick didn't even play that game, you know? So the poor guy like was upset that he didn't play and he's falling asleep and coach is getting into him. And it was just like one of those awkward moments where like you disappointed Coach K and like I felt I felt for Nick. I was like, oh man, I would hate to be in his shoes right now. All right, enough of the Coach K serious stuff. It's time to have some fun. And if we're talking fun, we're probably about to get a story from Andre Buckner. 
Dre Buck was the team prankster, and we'll be getting more into that on future episodes of Return to Glory. But even he was impressed with Coach K's ability to lighten the mood. That was one of the things that I think first most impressed me about Coach. Like, um, you know, his humor, man. He, he's so funny. He's such a funny guy that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, you know, um, if, if you don't really know him. But, I mean, he had so many moments where, you know, we anticipate anger or, or you know, him coming into the locker room with, with uh, you know, intensity. And then sometimes he would just come in with, uh, with the, you know, with something funny. And it kind of changed the mood and lightened everybody up. Um, and and he's, he's just the kind of person that's funny when he's not even trying to be sometimes. You know, some of the things he says, the way he says them, it's just, uh, you know, it really lightens you up. And I think that helped. That definitely helped. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how it helped each particular season, but I know it, it always um, – it's important to laugh in this sport, man, because it, it's so – you know, it, it gets so serious sometimes. And if you don't find time to – to um to laugh at yourself or laugh at you know some of the um to kind of take a load off the the intensity it, it I think it helped us all for sure um there was a few times where he he come into the locker room and you know that it was I can't remember what game it was before but we would we would play our music our rap music or whatever to get you know get in the mood before the game and uh it was uh I can't remember the song but he walked in you know, we obviously cut the music and then he walks in and does his pregame speech. And at the end of the speech, you know, when we're about to come into the huddle and 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 uh, say, go Duke or whatever we or win, whatever we'd say uh, right before that, he brought a he he. Uh, he mentioned one of the lyrics that was in the song that was playing. So he was like uh, and the song was come on, motherfucker, come on. It was a notorious big B.I.G. song. And, uh, <laughs> and so he's like. All right, now let's go kick their ass. And in the words of uh, the notorious B.I.G., come on, motherfuckers, let's go. And, and it's like, we, we like, what? It just kind of came out of nowhere, right? Like, it's like, oh, man, you were listening to that song, right? And so it's, you know, little little humor things like that. You know, we're all intense about the garden play, and then he loosens us up right away, right? So it's like he'd always have little, you know, little different spats or whatnot that, would just get a chuckle out of you and lighten you up. All right, lightening you up is one thing, but what about motivation? Carlos Boozer recalled for me one time that Coach K saw the team not living up to its potential, so he figured he would give them an extra boost for the next game. Here is Carlos Boozer on how Coach K inspired them to the biggest win of the entire 2001 season. We have a chance at a historical season. I don't know if we're undefeated or if we lost one game or whatever. But we lose a game to like a Clemson or a Florida State or somebody that we should have beat. Well, we felt like we should have won the game, but we lost the game. And we have a big game coming up. And coach felt like we just weren't ourselves. We weren't aggressive. We were usually the aggressor offensively and we were the aggressor defensively. And for whatever this game, we, we weren't aggressive. And we lost. It was a close game. We lost by two or three or four. It was a close game. We get back, we have a, we have a game coming up on uh, like Wednesday. Whoever we're playing, I don't know who it is. We get in the locker room. The entire locker room is white. Snow white everywhere. And there's little pieces of paper from the moment you walk in the locker room, all over the, all, all, all over the locker room, from the bathroom stall 
to where your jersey hangs up, to where the TV is, to the hallways, to all the greats that came before us. There's white pieces of paper everywhere. On that piece of paper, on every single piece of paper, is the word attack. Every piece of paper, the word attack. So we're all like, whoa, we can't even get dressed for the game. So we all sit down in our chairs. We're just sitting there waiting. Lights go off. TV pops on. And it's, it's, the, it's the Braveheart scene where he's like riding on the horse, getting his troops ready to go into battle, giving them a bomb speech of encouragement. Like, you know, let's go be legends and let's go be legendary. And echoing eternity forever. You know, getting this guy. And then Coach K does a somersault and rolls in like a rolls in with an with a army fatigue helmet on and says, let's fucking attack. And we just jump up like some warriors, bro. And we go out there and we, we just destroy the team, whoever we played against by like 40. It was Florida we, State. It was Florida State. We beat them 100 to 58. We just destroyed them. And we were in attack mode from, from the tip to the, to, the, to the horn. There was no let up. Whoever played, I don't care if you were a starting five player or if you were a bottom five player who came in. To, it did not matter. We were in attack mode from top to finish, bro. And that was that was one of those games where you knew that Coach K had our fucking back. He did whatever it took to motivate us. But also, he's, what is he, 50, 60 years old, rolling, somersaulting on the floor? Like, he doesn't have to do that. He's got championships. He's, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's doing that for us 18, 19, 20-year-old kids to let us know that he's in this fight with us to be champions. He wanted it for us that bad. He went to that length to motivate us. That was a, that was a pivotal moment that year for our team. And Carlos Boozer recalled another pivotal moment, not in the locker room or on the basketball floor, but on the team bus. Have a listen to this story. Our sophomore year, we're balling. Jay Will's out of, my, out of his mind, probably one of the top two or three, four guards in the world. Like, you put him up there with Jay Kidd and, you know, whoever you want. He's, he, he can compete with whoever you want. Uh, that's how we felt. Uh, Shane was about to be a pro. Obviously, he's about to graduate. Me and Don Levy are, are, you know, we could be in top five. We can go top 25, top whatever. We're going to get drafted. And we're on the bus. I don't know what city we're in. We're on the bus. And we, we got cell phones. So our cell phone goes off on the bus. And we never had that. And, and so coach, coach looks back on the bus and kind of looks forward. And then we get, we get in, the, in, the, in the locker room. And coach goes, listen, listen, listen. I know some of you guys are going to be pros and you're going to have great careers, but do me a favor, be present, enjoy your guys, enjoy the guys that you have here. Because once this is over, it's over. There's no coming back to college when you become a pro and you start making money. Enjoy this moment. This is mid season. Enjoy this moment with your guys. Cause when this moment's over, it's over. And so I don't know what made him say that. Maybe just we had cell phones, got, maybe scouts were calling him, like asking about players to get drafted. But there's a big buzz around our team. You know, we got five, six, seven, eight guys that could be pros. Now think about that. Duhon, pro. Dante Jones, pro. Uh, Dunleavy, pro. Jay Will, pro. Shane, pro. 
later on, we got Daniel Ewing pro. Like we had seven pros. That conversation was like, look, so we're a team, like to each other, like let's, let's, let's maximize our time with each other. I mean, no matter what happens moving forward, if we go pro this year, if we come back to try to repeat, which we did, me, Jay, Will, and Dunley became back. But we could have left our, our sophomore years when our stock was through the roof. Like Jay Will would have been number one, number two, no matter what year he came out. He was just that good. He just happened to come out in a year where Yao Ming was in the draft. So he went number two. But other than that, we were going to be pros no matter what. So I, I think that moment coach sees because he's like, okay, let me, let me make sure these guys are locked in. Guys, if you guys lock in, you can be fucking champions. So don't look too far ahead to what's coming. Don't look back. Be present. Stay in this moment with your guys. And then, and then, and we did. And we, we focused on that the rest of the year. No, the no more cell phones went off on the bus. I'll put it to you like that. <laughs>And I just couldn't let this episode of Return to Glory end without letting all of you in on one of Shane Battier's reflections of how Coach K handled special events with the team. As Shane tells it, this was Coach K's secret sauce, secret barbecue sauce, that is. Ted Wheeler uh, barbecue will, will go down in, in history uh, for those in the program for being a huge, huge part of what we were about. Every team function that we had, every recruit that came to town, Coach K would hire Ted Wheeler barbecue and we'd have like barbecue chicken and cornbread and beans and, and greens. And, you know, we're lucky we're in college burning all those calories because like if I tried to eat, eat that food now, it was delicious, but it was like Southern heavy food. And so the, the, the joke became, ah, there's old Ted Wheeler and Ted is the nicest guy. He's always there serving himself. Um, but by far that was the unofficial official food of, of Duke basketball during, during our time there. So if you ask any, any guy on the team, whoever came through the program, Ted Wheeler, you'll, you'll get a good chuckle about it. And with that mouth watering memory from Shane, we have to take a quick break on return to glory. The story of the 2001 Duke blue devil national champions. A look at our next episode is coming up. Welcome back to Return to Glory, the story of the 2001 Duke Blue Devil National Champions. On our next episode, it's time for some practical jokes. I came home one day, he had filled up my entire bathtub with, it was like a jelly? Everybody would, would cover up uh, their, their genitals because if, if you didn't, uh, Shane would find a way to uh, just uh, gently uh, or not so gently um, give you a little tap we could we couldn't figure out the source of this awful smell um <laughs> and and andre had taken a crap in one of our trash cans and then put an empty trash bag on top of it keeping the team loose by poking fun at each other that's coming up on the next episode of return to glory Return to Glory is hosted, written, and produced by me, Jason Evans. It would never have happened without the generous help of the entire 2001 Duke Blue Devil National Champions. 
This is a production of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back very soon. Thank you.